Hello, everybody. So, forgive me if in the background you hear a lovely sound, which is waves. I'm actually recording this in the best setup I think I have could have found. And I'm staying in an Airbnb that's not a typical Airbnb, or maybe it is. I'm in a Airstream that is sitting right on the beach in Baja, uh, right outside of Ensenada. Well, John, that sounds awesome. Good for you. (laughs) I'm actually on a sort of mini sabbatical working on time off, not only the podcast, but the book I'm writing. Speaking of that, a few people that have listened to the first couple of episodes have given me great feedback. And most of the feedback has come in the form of questions. Questions like, hey, John, love this interview, but what is time off and why are you doing it? So I figure I would answer those two questions now. So I've spent most of my career as a technology entrepreneur. And I used to believe that entrepreneurship equaled that you just needed to work harder than everyone else and that you just had to be working all the time, nonstop, grinding, and eventually through that I would be successful. People would quote me on the internet. Well, it turns out I had to learn the hard way that just because I was putting in more hours and grinding all the time, sort of on a nonstop treadmill didn't necessarily mean that I was being effective and many long stories short I started taking more time off both on a daily basis weekly basis and then started introducing many sabbaticals into my life so a whole different scope of time off I started experimenting with And the outcome was I started to become more successful in all of my projects and ventures. And I sat there one day asking myself if I had found some kind of secret, and it turns out uh, that, of course, I didn't, and that I'm not alone in this method of being more successful by taking more time off. And it turns out rest, taking time off, and relaxation is something humans have been doing for a long time, actually since the beginning of our history. But in today's modern world, it seems that it's been easy to forget this. So I'm really fascinated by people who have not forgotten the value and strategy of rest. This podcast and the body of work I'm studying and writing a book on really is just to spotlight interesting people who all have an interesting point of view on the value of time off. So hopefully that gives you a little background on what this is and why I'm doing it. But let's get to this week's episode, which is with Ivan Cash, a really amazing dude. Ivan Cash, he's an award-winning interactive artist, very talented film director, and founder of Cash Studios. His work engages culture, celebrates human connection, and is loved by the internet. There's tons of press and articles about him that you can find online. But I came across Ivan's work 
which was an awesome experiment, while walking in a park in San Francisco. I saw these signs that were in the park that said the park was a no-tech zone, and people on their devices in the park, that could be iPads, iPhones, any digital device that's keeping you away from enjoying the park, if you were found on them, you could be fined. I remember seeing this sign and thinking that the city of San Francisco was brilliant for putting them up, and they truly were a progressive city that's balancing out all of the technology that's being created there. But it turns out this was one of Ivan's experiments. So on this episode, Ivan and I discuss his body of work, why he does it, and what time off looks like for him. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. When I graduated college, my mom gifted me a meditation retreat on the East Coast, and I said yes. I didn't know it was going to be silent until I got there. If I did, I probably wouldn't have accepted it, so I kind of got like hoodwinked into going and wasn't even sure if I liked it, but afterwards it was impossible to not deny the, the impact that it, that it had. In, well, in a positive wanna, way. Sure, sure. Yeah, I want to I talk about that a bit. Uh, but before we do that, I was just in the airport. And, you know, I'm just a big fan of your body of work. Correct uh, me if, if I'm not labeling it correctly, but a lot of the beautiful creative work you do is, for my eyes, centered around how do we become more comfortable with interacting with strangers, you know, human beings in real life, um, and I was in the airport just a few minutes ago and I'm, I'm in this moment with, with all these people from all these wonderful backgrounds asking, you know, sitting there thinking, saying, I wonder what she does. I wonder what he does. But then that gets interrupted because I realize everyone around me is staring at their phone. Right. And, I kinda, and I think about, I think about you in this moment. And, uh, so then I, in the like 20 minutes of waiting for our bags, I was like, I'm going to like lock eyes with as many people as possible, almost like creepily stare at them until I get eye contact. <laughs> and, 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 and I did it, but it was this thing. I, I feel like I had eight cups of coffee because <laughs> when, pe when people finally looked up from their screen and they looked at me, like unanimously, everyone just smiled. And it was like, yeah, super energizing. There was a, yeah. So um, I just wanted to say <laughs> that and I want to, I want to talk about your no tech zone, but maybe maybe let's talk about your your what drives you like in your in all of your projects i'm really interested to hear from you why this matters sure sure um i mean it's like such a big question that we could spend like you know days and weeks really going into it but i think that um there's a lot of stuff in the world that isn't that important that we have somehow given a lot of priority to. And I think at the end of the day, our relationships and how we show up for our connections with other people are the sort of underlying, uh, you know, most, most important moments of life to really show up for and be present for. And I think that with technology, it's created this beautiful opportunity to cast our net wider and form so many more connections and you know we wouldn't even be talking if it wasn't for email and i've certainly benefited greatly from having 
the internet to create projects and platforms on and you know it's it's deeply benefited my life in some really profound ways and the irony of living in this increasingly digital world is that uh we've become a lot more disconnected from each other um because if there's a lot of quantity over quality it's easy to have touch points with thousands of people very quickly hard to have a, a deep in-depth interaction or conversation and so yeah, that just to me feels like I'm very clear that that is a big part of what makes me tick and what to me feels like the most important thing to do with my life. And I think on a macro scale, if we zoom out, a lot of the conflict and division in the world is in many ways, I attribute it to a lack of empathy, a lack of compassion, and a lack of understanding that strangers are really just people we haven't met yet. And that as a, a whole community, like a world community, we have a lot more in, in common than less. And when we can put our individual needs aside for the greater good of a community, I think that it creates a happier world, both outwardly and inwardly. So that's my, that's my rant. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful rant. Uh, just people we haven't met yet. I had my grandfather, who was sort of this cowboy figure, uh, sort of, told me something very similar and you know he said if you're feeling down or you're having a bad day he always said it's your own fault and likely you haven't just interacted with enough humans that day because mm. we're he believed we we're naturally very good at if I like if I if I was having a bad day if something bad just happened at the airport and I you know told you about that you would probably most likely talk to me about that well Let's maybe look at a solution or just you asking more questions about the problem would make me feel like someone's there uh, empathizing, as, as you said. So, yeah, I, I think that not only is it just people we haven't met yet, they're like remedies surrounding us in any given moment in public spaces. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Totally. So can, can you talk about, I'm of course going to share all of your work uh, in my episode notes, but how do you pitch some of the, I just quickly pitch some of the really cool film projects you've done, some of the experiments you've done that underlie this philosophy that you feel so strongly about. Sure, sure. I'll share a couple. Um, in 2011, I created a project called Snail Mail, my email that allowed, invited anyone in the world to send me an email and a recipient's physical address. And then I'd transform that into a handwritten letter and mail it to that intended recipient free of charge. Um, it ended up going viral and so got a thousand requests on the fourth day and quickly turned the project to a um, crowdsourced of 2,000 volunteers that helped send out 30,000 letters over the course of six years. Um, I did a project called Selfless Portraits, which was strangers across the world drawing each other's Facebook profile photos. Um, we, in the two year span that that was live, we got over 50,000 portraits drawn from 152 countries. And in order to have your portrait drawn, you first had to draw a stranger. Um, I did a project asking strangers to share the last photo on their phone, um, just because I was curious about what people are doing on their phones, <laughs> and ended up turning that into a traveling mini-series. So as I went from city to city, I'd spend three extra days in a new place talking to over 100 strangers and then cutting down 
a three to four minute film on that. And that uh, then inspired a lot of filmmakers from around the world to create last photo editions in their respective cities. So those are three projects that I've, um, and maybe one more is I just did a documentary about a subway station agent in Oakland who very unconventionally greets everyone coming through his terminal, um, shaking hands, giving high fives, fist bumps, smiles to everyone coming in and out. And it's a really um, powerful and transformative uh, yet simple act that he does. And so I wanted to share his, his story. So those are some of the projects I've done. Wow. So, wow. So Ivan, <laughs> I, I studied documentary uh, selfishly in college because I wanted to understand humanity. And it, yeah. I had some, I had some work in the past, but hearing what you've done, your angle of your projects, to me, that is a deep <laughs> MBA in humanity. What have you learned through those? Like what, what are That's things funny. you believe that, that others might think is crazy after experiencing that? And uh, more than, yeah. more, more, more than that, you enabled it. Like what, what has that taught you about humanity? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things I could say in response to that question. I think the, the overarching thing that ties everyone together, and I'm grateful that this is becoming more and more a subject of um, public conversation, is the, just the fact that we all have our struggles and we all have hardship. And I think that's ultimately what connects us all on a, a deep felt level. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's a taboo that they don't want to talk about or go to or even look at. And I think that, you know, for some people living a life where they're constantly distracted and not really like facing their pain is, um, you know, is one way of operating. But I think when we really do face our pain, whatever it is, um, that that ultimately allows there to be a greater sense of compassion for others because there's an acknowledgement of like, oh, no one actually has the answer we're all making it up as we go. Even like the most famous, powerful, successful people, like everyone's kind of making it up. There's no objectively like right or wrong way to live. I mean, aside from like, you know, harming others. Um, it's kind of like, we're all just doing our thing. And um, for me that, that just looking around and acknowledging that we all have a unique story that actually ties us together in a common felt sense of human emotion is is really important and allows me to you know if someone is a jerk to me I can you know I'll be pissed but I also know that like they're having a bad day or maybe they've had like a lot of really tough um breaks in life and yeah I guess I guess it's taught me I believe in the inherent good of people and I think that when people act in ways that aren't good I think it's because they're like deeply suffering and um yeah that's one thing another thing I've learned is like talking to strangers and, and it sounds like you know you kind of gained some insight into this through your uh airport experiment um it's kind of a, addictive and energizing and so the more that um one can open themselves up to connections kind of the the easier it becomes and so I've watched that become a really powerful unfolding for me in my both in my like art, artistic practice but also just in my personal life in terms of um just the, the people that I'll meet um that I wouldn't expect would be you know 
important relationships in my life. For example, I had dinner on Friday night with um, two friends of mine that are probably in their 50s or 60s. And um, I just met one of them on the sidewalk a couple of years ago, just chatting. And he's a UX designer that didn't own a phone at the time. And I was really intrigued by his story. And, um, you know, now we're good friends. And that's just like one of many examples of how I think when when someone is able to walk through life with a sense of, of true openness, it allows many possibilities to unfold. Wow, that's so refreshing. You know, that made me think about, it was a, actually one of the most emotional podcasts I've listened to in a long time, and I'm almost uh, probably binge a little too much on it. But Tim Ferriss recently interviewed uh, the beautiful person behind Humans of New York. And, oh yeah, Brandon. Yeah, and his his whole thing was that all he's like, I wish I could tell you that what I do is some magical secret, you know, some physics formula or something. He said, no, I just sit down and take ninety minutes to just really, really talk to somebody, and most of the time, go deep in in the concepts that are very challenging. But there's so much pressure built up that people open up, and it's that how are you struggling or, you know, what do you regret? That's a very, you know, human thing that we, it's always inside of our head. You know, we're reflecting on it constantly. And then it's almost as if someone finally dials the radio dial and finds the right frequency in that moment of just giving space. And then, you know, the person opens up and uh, there's something very human about that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, I, love, I love what Brandon's been doing. Super important, yeah, powerful, yeah. inspirational work. Yeah, it really is. I'm I'm really intrigued by silent retreats, silent meditations. Do you care to talk about that in terms of your experience with not talking and what that affords? <laughs> I feel like it would be a little paradoxical to say too much about it. <laughs> um, it's true. Well, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, go ahead. I'm happy to say a few words. Um, sure. You sure. know, I'm. A lot of my work deals with making uh, critiques about our use of technology, and that comes from personal experience because I have my own struggles around, um, you know, the the perceived need to be on my phone all the time or to be on a computer all the time, and for me having uh, some form of balance from such an extreme digital world is kind of a, a survival tactic at this point, just for like mental sanity. And yeah, I don't, I think that like people can get that in many different ways. I think that like a backpacking trip can totally do that. Um, for me, silent meditations and a, a nice supportive structure that I've sort of just stumbled into that, has seemed to work really well in just keeping me grounded and helping me really clarify my priorities. And I think that, you know, we all lead such busy lives that it's hard to really, you know, in some ways we're all running around with our heads cut off um, like a chicken. And when, you know, for me on a silent meditation retreat, it just gets time for the dust to settle and to see, okay, like what are actually the underlying um, desires or aversions that are happening anyway that I wouldn't even necessarily notice. And then when I notice them, it just it's, feels like 
valuable to be aware of who's actually steering the ship and you know what it's coming from so i think just you know any sort of like psychological inquiry i think is can be valuable yeah i've i've experienced the uh, silent meditations in several different formats and scales and for me what it what it allowed is I'm sort of to make the analogy to like physics and space, like I'm bouncing around everywhere in all kinds of directions. And then through that practice, I finally find an orbit and that orbit is me orbiting around my truth. And that space allowed me to sort of identify that gravity, that, that truth. And I've been able to make reflecting now very important decisions on what I don't want to do, what I'm not and people I shouldn't associate myself with projects that, um, aren't worth um, anything versus I had some kind of dogma or something that was driving me behind it. Like it's, it's like a, it's like a filtering, like a cleansing. Um, totally. And I think it, it, it creates a greater sensitivity so that, yeah, one can really discern what's right. What's working, what's not working. Um, what's giving me energy, what's taking energy away. Um, do you, and, do you and have I an example of, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say what's not working is very identifying that it's hard, but once you do, there's such a relief. Do you have a few examples yeah. of like, of when you realized something wasn't working and you had sure. to make a decision? Totally. I mean, the big one for me was back when I had um, what I thought was a dream job uh, working at this ad agency, Wyden Kennedy as an art director at age 25 um, wow. in Amsterdam. And I was like really, stoked for it I didn't really go to school for doing that and so it was like a series of like hustles and great luck to land this like very coveted job um high status and you know making good money at the time and I was like miserable and was locked into a year-long contract didn't know what to do um but was like coming home every day and just you know either crying or just really going to dark places about um, it just like was not a good fit for a lot of reasons that I don't have to go into. Um, and ultimately I feel like thanks to both a kind of mentor figure, but also the fact that I had done a number of silent meditation retreats up until that point and had a meditation practice, I was able to really lean into my truth and ultimately make the really tough decision to leave the job after just half a year. Um, I had to pay back my relocation allowance and broke the contract. And it was like a really tough decision. I had to face a lot of fear of, um, you know, letting people down and, you know, being a failure, like not, you know, what's wrong with me that I can't, um, that I can't fit into this dream that so many people have of working at this great company, you know, what's wrong with me. And I really had to face that. And I couldn't deny that my truth was that it wasn't working. And even though I didn't have any plan B at the time, I was pretty much, I was just moving back with my, my parents and I was going to figure it out from there. But I think that the, the practice that I had done up until that point really gave me the capacity to listen to myself and make that tough decision. Even though I, I, I thought it wasn't even an option. I thought like you, you just can't quit a job before years up. And this mentor was really valuable and like telling me, actually, it's your life. You can do whatever you want. There's not like a right or a wrong thing. Of course, your action will have consequences, but 
you know, you can, you can break a contract. And the, the learning for me was that I was so clear in it all that I was able to um, talk to my bosses in a way that they didn't feel um, like I was abandoning them. They didn't take it personal. They just felt like they were like, Hey, you're really clear on this and we support you. And a couple of them even were like confided in me that they were jealous and that they would have done the same thing if they could at my age. Um, and so that was a huge learning. And then a week after that, I created the snail mail, my email project that really um, shifted the course of my career. So that was a, I can point back to that pretty easily and, and say that identifying that that wasn't working for me and then taking pretty swift action was a, uh, super, super scary and a really good thing. Do you have any people in your network, strangers included, that are intimidated or have a stigma around words like meditation, mindfulness? Sure. Um, I... I mean, I was just uh, the best man in a good friend of mine's wedding who, you know, does not share the same political beliefs as me, voted for a different president than I voted for, um, didn't, um, didn't go to, doesn't have higher education. Um, and in many ways, you know, we have very different um, beliefs. And so I, I, I don't believe that he's ever meditated or has an interest in meditation. Um, and we still share a lot of the same underlying values of, um, you know, having just grown up together. Um, and I, I think it's really important to not, I never want to pigeonhole myself or only surround myself with like-minded people. I think it's really great to, like, I'm from New York and the community I grew up in was like not, I remember like my, my parents are a little hippie leaning, maybe a lot hippie leaning. And so I remember like getting bullied at school for having incense at my home. Um, but in hindsight, I kind of love that because it'd be like too easy to just like go all in and be like meditation is the answer. And I think the reality is like, there's so many different ways of living. There's like, there's no one answer. I think it's just everyone figures out what works for them and in their own way. But I think to me, the, the unifier is just having some sort of inner practice. I think is like what's valuable. And so for my friend, it's, it's, you know, religion, which doesn't um, speak to me as much, but I totally support and respect that That's what kind of helps him to connect with other people in a way that's, you know, beyond just like working with them or um, being family. So it's a really great point. I've had a guest on the podcast that he called meditation thinking. Uh, which you hear in a lot of Eastern texts, it's the anti-thinking, but he made a good point that it's like, it's a, it's the practice of turning off thinking too much about the future, thinking too much about the past. And just essentially what, when you were asking yourself, what's not working, you're still thinking in that moment. And that was his sort of very practical way of saying like, he sees that as meditating. I can't say he's wrong. You know, um, it, it yep. is just an inner practice of, self-reflection um, and improvement so totally. I I had experienced one of your experiments that you didn't even mention uh, <laughs> called the called the called the no tech zone which I I just loved from a sort of I thought it was a legit when I saw it and for those that 
aren't aware, you put signs all across the Bay Area in beautiful parks, which the city has many, that was a sign that looked like any other sign the city would put forth for noticing. And it had a no tech zone. It had a phone with a red X through it and then said something like up to $300 fine. Is that correct? Yeah, it said no cell phones, tablets, laptops, or smart devices permitted. Violators subject to $300 fine. San Francisco Parks and Recreation Department. Okay, so I remember seeing it and thinking, like, San Francisco is the greatest city in the world because I'm a technologist. <laughs> I'm a technologist by trade, so I'm like, I love being here for the mind share and the density of it. But then at the same time, I feel like those who are designing tech should I argue that sometimes they should be the ones on it the least getting sort of playful childlike thoughts and you know reflection but and so I was like the city gets it I was like this is unreal and then a friend's like hey, what are you talking about that's not real that's not real I was like what do you mean he's like it's it's art and I and it like I was I was dumbfounded for the entire day a little bit of backstory uh, I'm I have a lot of questions around you know like what happened after you did that um you mind sharing a little bit about that sure um so you saw it in the wild is what you're saying i saw it in the wild and i believe it was in the dolores park you, yeah you did some there correct yeah. yeah 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 um so i mean do you want i can start with just kind of like quickly how it was inspired um yes. and i'm happy to talk about the sort of what happened afterwards so i used to live near alamo square park and would try to make a ritual of going to the park every morning after I woke up just to, you know, be out in nature for five minutes and as the sun was rising. And I always thought it was ironic to see people on their phones um, that early in the park. And, um, you know, because to me, parks are like this sort of final frontier that we've designated as being um, intentionally void of development and technological and, you know, man-made development. Um, and not to say that I'm not on my phone in parks. This is like, I'm, I'm very clear on like not feeling like holier than now or, you know, it's like in, in many ways, this project was like made for me as well. So anyway, though, I, I thought it was just ironic that people use their phones and technology in parks. And then I saw these no parking signs and just the idea just like immediately was like hit me and I knew I had to make the signs and so I did a bunch of research and found a um I worked with an assistant of mine to find like the exact binding that the city uses and um researched a bunch of different sign manufacturers and had a couple of prototypes sent to us and found the one that had like the right reflective layer that matched the city signs and tried to get the font to match as closely as possible. I have a design background so that that helped out. And yeah, then we just went out for a couple nights in a row and um installed the signs and we actually we made a film about it that was set to release a week after um the signs were installed however within 24 hours just ironically through instagram um the signs went viral and the guardian in the uk did a big feature story about the signs um yeah 24 hours later and from there they just totally blew up and went viral um so it was more just a, a shocker than anything because I kind of assumed that I would be able to control the narrative and instead it, it just created its own with people speculating about it being protest for the Google buses, which 
I guess one of the signs or a couple of the signs were near one of the stops for the Google bus. Um, you know, people were debating whether or not it was real. The city commented and said that it wasn't them. So they, I know people assumed it must have been an artist. Um, there was, I, I just, I enjoy putting projects into the world that don't have an immediate, like, I like the fact that you thought it was real for a little while. I think that like, it's fun to mess with people's reality because for that, for however much time you thought that was a real sign that, um, you know, sparked you to reimagine possibilities. And, um, you know, I think that like every citizen of the world has the power within themselves and the creativity, like innate creativity to, um, you know, do projects like this that just spark conversation and ultimately get people asking questions. I'm not saying that all parks around the world should actually ban technology, but I think it's a worthwhile question to ask, you know, when and how and where do we use our, our technology and are there any places in our lives where um, that, that we should deem sacred and free of technology. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think the more, I think humans have to be prompted, right? There's a reason we still have stop signs. It's like, hey, reminder, stop here. And prompts, prompts are important. And for me, that was just a prompt. It was a, I, I took it, you know, literally. And I was like, the city of San Francisco is incredible. I love them so much. But then at the end of the day, whoever looks at it, it makes you reflect. It makes you just go, Oh, maybe I am on my phone too much. And actually this is an amazing park. And wow, look at that view. And yep. you know, prompts and prompts in general that allow us to, you know, maybe get off the device more and talking to strangers more. Um, you know, I I would love to see more of that. And in fact, I'm excited to go to New York uh today because you know, you see so many experiments in the wild. Uh, it's one of my right. favorite things to try to try to look for while I'm there. Um totally. What, what was the response to that? Like, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of things, but any notable, did you get some crazy emails, both people furious, also people wanting to take it even further? How would you deem the response? Yeah, so it was anonymous for a little while, and that was kind of fun because I could look and see what people were saying without it being like attached to a, you know, without it feeling personal. Um, and... One, also, one of the fun things was going back the next morning and just filming people with a long lens camera and just watching people do double takes and, you know, walking past the sign and then stopping, walking backwards, looking at it again, and then dragging their friend over to look at it as well. Um, and we even interviewed a couple people about it, not, you know, not saying that we were the creators at all, but just being curious. And it was just fun to see how people reacted from, you know, being really excited about it to being appalled to feeling like it was, you know, smart, but that the $300 fine was unjustified. And so I think that ultimately just sparking conversation and getting people asking more questions about the topic of like, you know, where and how do we have balance with this new cultural phenomenon, which is technology being in so much of our lives. I think that was ultimately the win and the reactions that I was interested in getting. And then it's just always interesting to see how the media, um, you know, shapes stories and um, takes liberties. And um, yeah, there were, there were some stories that I was really proud of. And then once my name got out, there were some stories that I was less proud of. Like um, one headline was former Facebook employee creates no tech zone signs. Um, and for the record, I freelanced at Facebook for two months in 2011 um, or 2012, but was never a full-time employee. And, 
that just felt like they were being very, um, you know, the media is going to do what it's going to do, which is like create controversy and um, clickbait. So that was like, I guess just on the personal level, uh, a learning of like, be ready for, for anything when you do a public project. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, and I, I think that, that hypocrisy is okay. I think that, um, you know, we all contradict ourselves in life. And so I kind of, I think it, it makes me more uh, relatable the fact that like, I, I do have a lot of clients that are tech companies and I am on my phone and my computer a lot and I have issue with it and I don't want that to be um, the norm all the time. So I think that hopefully um, allows me to, to reach a wider audience because I'm, I'm not just preaching to one side of the fence or the other, but it's really trying to just be like, hey, this is like a human issue that is worthy of discussion. And I'm, I'm grateful that this project was um, two or three years old when, from when I launched it. And it's cool to see that in that time, how much the, um, the movement to, to curb our tech use and to have a, you know, a healthier relationship with technology has really um, taken over. And maybe the last thing I'll say is that it was cool to see who then purchased the signs um, afterwards or, you know, had them. So a lot of like, I know that the signs are in the Twitter office, they're in the Airbnb office. Um, a lot of friends of mine that got the sign will put it in their kitchen or one room in their house. They want to be um, free of technology. And I, I thought that was just a cool, very practical application. Well, full applause, my friend. I, I think it's just incredible work. And as you said, <laughs> if anyone listening has similar ideas, be be prepared for you know some some interesting feedback and <laughs> but just just as much as the negative can come, you know, people are using it. You're, it. It went beyond what you intended, which is, I think, the purpose of any creation. I, I like how totally. you you know you know devices and us on our screens and us always, you know on and not not that being the norm i mean that's that's at the fabric the sort of spinal cord of what i care about and what i study which is the value of time off and that of course has many connotations what does time off look like for you i think it can be many different things versus black or white so for me, time off is sleeping with my phone outside of my room and putting it on airplane mode and turning off the internet modem so that it is truly, um, you know, a tech-free zone for the whole time that I'm sleeping and as well into the morning as I can manage. Um, for me, it's leaving my phone on airplane mode in the car when I go camping for a weekend. Um, it's, yeah, I guess just really moderating and being aware of, of what my consumption and usage is. Um, and, you know, I go as far as to install plugins on my phone and like, I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. I have a plugin on my computer that doesn't give me the newsfeed. And it's not because I don't care about what my friends are up to. It's more just uh, realizing how distracted, easily distracted I am and valuing the qualities of focus um and and not being distracted all the time so yeah i've done a lot of um little hacks to to help make that happen that's that's really great to hear you know 
one of my first interviews is a friend of mine who actually lives in the Bay Area named uh, Jake Knapp, who wrote the book Sprint. He was at Google Ventures for a while, was a talented designer, and is soon to release a book called Make Time, and that's what we talked about. And he mm. talks about that idea as those little things you discussed, you sort of control. He calls infinity pools. So that could be a Twitter feed, that could be a Facebook feed, it could be a CNN homepage. It's 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 nonstop. You could scroll forever, and right. you know we like we like snacks. You know, like go put a big bowl of goldfish at a happy hour, and like within five minutes it's gone. And you know we're, we just like little snacks. And so these some of these products that are designed in such a way where there is no end, um, you have to be you have to be mindful of that. And I, I like that you answer that in that way because I have some guests I talk to who have it's all a matter of scale. So some people see time off in this macro scale, like, oh, our company does six weeks on, one week off, or three months on, one month off, or seven years on, one year off. And that's like right. way on this one, spec one spectrum. You're literally pressing a button that comes natively on a device that it's so simple to do. It's right there. It's accessible. You don't, it's, it's, it's built in, um, yet it can, it can unlock a lot of presence. And that's a very totally. simple thing. It's very, very micro. And I think it's important even for me to remember that, that, I don't, you know, coming, coming up with a sabbatical strategy for a company, although I think that's amazing. I think that's awesome. And high five to the people that do it. it. It does take a lot of discipline. You have to put systems in place and it's a pretty serious project to get yourself from traditional nine to five to some non-traditional working hours, uh, you know, and props to the people that do it. But what you said is like, we can, any of us can do that. And you could do that right after you listen to this. You do that tonight when you're sitting down with your family. Uh, you put one of your signs in the kitchen. Uh, you know, it, the, the scale and the scope, there's, there's so many ways to go about it, um, to, find that, to find that time off. And what about, what, do you have any like hobbies, active rest, things that you do to help you get into a creative flow or? Also interested in that aspect of your life. Sure. Um, yeah, many. I mean, I, I play a couple different sports. I play basketball twice a week, racquetball twice a week. I run. I think that physical activity is a great way of, um, it also has a meditative quality of like being more in, in my body. And, um, you know, a lot of times for me, the, the best, most creative ideas don't come when I'm like at a desk in front of a computer. They come when I'm out, um, you know, just living life. And that could be working out. It could be interacting with people. Um, I am definitely a fan of, uh, you know, going to community gatherings of many different kinds. Um, I'll go to weekly meditation sittings. And then also I have friends that organize uh, all sorts of different events in the Bay area that I'll go to. Um, and then I guess just lots of different kinds of like art practices from drawing and writing to, um, I guess it's been a little while since I've, I've done any street art, but um, even, I mean, this is like maybe silly and cliche, but like even like I have a lot of houseplants and I love just like having the hour per week where I tend to them and water them and trim their leaves. And that just is kind of like a, a thing that takes me out of, um, again, my mind. You know, I think being with animals is, is really great. I used to have this, um, my girlfriend has a dog 
that um, I've spent a lot of time with now and have come to love. I used to think that people that had pets were like weak because they needed like to rely on like some creature for their happiness. And now I'm like totally converted and I'm realizing that it's like such a gift to have an animal that like just gives limitless unconditional love and um, you know, doesn't give a shit about like status or you know, how many likes a post got or something. Um, so I don't yeah, know. Imagine are... if you had, if you had a human, like even if it's one of your friends that every time they see you, they're ecstatic beyond description. <laughs> like, that's a, it's like, that's what a pet is. It's just someone pumped to see you <laughs> all the time. It's wonderful. So that's good. so, that's so great. Um, well, with the little bit of time we have, we have left, I want to know, we talked a lot about this amazing history of, of you and some of the things you've done. What's next and how can we help? How can we get involved? Uh, sure. Your, your sure. body, your body of work proves itself. Just want to, you know, what's the, what is all this allowed and enabled to where you're going next? Yeah. Um, I appreciate that question. So, I mean, right now I've kind of been on the speaker circuit speaking at different types of design conferences and, tech um, festivals and summits um, about this stuff. And that's something I'm really passionate about. So I've been doing a lot of creative workshops with um, organizations, brands, um, schools, just, try, I guess, um, helping people to think about creativity in, um, in both the workplace and just in their personal lives in a different way. So that's been a lot of fun. And then specific to this topic, um, a good buddy of mine, Scott Blue, and I have been developing, uh, I guess, umbrella company called Live IRL, and um, we're planning on launching the first product in the next one to two months on Kickstarter. Um, it's a pair of glasses that block screens, and we've been developing it for the last year and are really happy with um, how it's coming along, and we see that as the the first of many products, hacks, services that could be offered through um, this this new umbrella company that we're launching um, that we feel like is uh, a much, you know, at, at this point, you know, there's definitely a, a number of, of players in this movement to help people control tech and not the other way around. And um, I feel like it, there's just a lot of opportunity for many different players to come in and um, yeah. you know, help, help out humanity. So we're happy to be, um, you know, one of those players and we're, we're happy for, for more people to get involved as well. So whether it's, you know, getting involved and in helping us directly, or even if it's just, you know, doing your own thing that is, isn't involved with us at all, but it's just kind of furthering the cause. It just feels like this movement needs as much help as it can get. And, um, it's exciting to see, and even in the last year, how much, um, you know, these ideas have been perpetuated through culture and are really having a kind of a shining moment. So it's it's an exciting time and I'm curious to see how screen blocking classes will do in the marketplace. I think that it's one of the most incredible industries, I'm calling it an industry that needs more and more people behind it. I want to help in as many ways as I can because, you know, call me a nerd, but to make a Star Wars analogy, I just see this massive Death Star in the sky, and I'm just like trying to, <laughs> trying to hang out with Jedi's that have you know interesting tricks <laughs> and uh, light, lightsaber skills. And I, I think that's incredible. And you know, I, I spend a lot of time traveling with my technology projects, and you know, I'm well known in, in the space of some of the 
most leading edge tech of AI, blockchain, industrial robotics. So everyone thinks that I'm like, I just live in that world and that I'm, I'm a robot myself. Whereas like if I'm not design, designing or engineering those solutions, I, I want to connect with the ultimate technology, which is human connection. And in fact, yeah. we, we are the organs of AI, as Kevin Kelly said. And so yeah. we don't even understand enough about ourselves. We won't even be able to design the systems we all think we can design. And I think that there's not even, we're not even scratching the surface in terms of tools and prompts and things that just bring us back to something that's very intuitive, which is like I experienced at the airport today, just look at someone in the eyes and it's just a matter of time until they smile at you. And that's just beautiful. It's just a refreshing moment. And a few of them led to conversations, a few of them didn't, that's fine. But here I am and I just had a free antidepressant. You know? <laughs> just, just like, uh, and so especially in today's beautiful. landscape of mental health and yeah, I think it's, I think it's incredible. And what was it? Just so uh, I remember again, the name of your company. Yeah, it's Live IRL. Right Is now that we're for in, in, in real life. Yeah, that's right. And we're that's in stealth so mode right awesome. now, but we'll sure. be launching in the next two months. Um, oh, and then if anyone's interested in the No Tech Zone sign, that exists at no-tech-zone.com. Uh, thanks for making the time, Ivan. I I deeply appreciate it, and you're even cooler than I imagined. So thanks for. I don't, I, I don't know about do. that, but um, it's an <laughs> honor. I'm I'm excited to listen to the other interviews on your podcast, and um, congratulations on the good work that you're doing. Thanks, brother. Have a great rest yeah. of the week. All right. Likewise. Thanks a lot, John. Uh, uh, bye bye. Bye.